my groove today. Been watching rain skies move away. I just don't think that I can lose, and I might just take a cruise and let the sunshine play. Something more, something new, something new. Hello, everybody. Back for the last. Monday of March, which means the Masters right around the corner. But first, we got Valero and joined, as always, by my man, Drew. Drew, how are you living this evening? Doing great. Hope uh, hope you guys are doing well. Uh, getting closer to the Masters. And so uh, hopefully we can uh, build up a little bankroll so we can throw some extra cash in next week. But I'm doing great. Happy to be back, man. Yeah, no doubt. And very excited to have Joe Nicely. PGA editor at Rotoballer, co-host of the the Turned Off podcast. Really, really excited. So, Joe, thanks for coming on with us tonight. Thanks, Rob. I, I appreciate you having me on, man. I lo- love the show. Love listening to you and Drew, and uh, really, gr- really glad to be with you tonight. Yeah. Well, the first thing I got to ask is, I saw on Twitter you're you're in Knoxville. Is that correct? Yeah, man. Down East Tennessee yeah. in Knoxville. You're you're up in Kentucky, right? I am. So I was going to ask you, are you a Vols fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tortured Vols fan. <laughs> yeah. Well, I almost, uh, when we played each other in the SEC tournament, I almost sent you uh, a message asking if you wanted to make a bet. And I'm glad I didn't. But yeah. Yeah. You shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, uh, we, we kind of both uh, had, had rough ends to the year, Rob. So it's pretty, pretty rough, uh, man. Well, a misery loves company, so we're glad that we can kind of commiserate on that. Well, anyway, so, so Joe, I, you know, I've really been following your work here probably the last kind of six months, especially you're kind of been killing it at Rotoballer for a while. And if you don't mind just sharing a little bit about your own history and do PGA, I know you write, uh, do NFL work for Rotoballer as well. So maybe just, yeah, history on your DFS journey. Yeah, man, um, kind of. Like a lot of folks, really love fantasy football. Um, that was kind of my entryway into uh, DFS. Um, obviously, played in fantasy football leagues for years, and and then when DraftKings and and kind of the DFS world started popping up, got into that with football. Um, then kind of found my way to golf. Um, got kind of a long history with golf. Uh, played law as a teenager. Worked in a golf shop while I was in college. So. You know, had a lot of connection there, but I've kind of gotten away from the game for several years. I uh, got married, started a business, had, had a kid. So, you know how that is. I was kind of kind of oh, away yeah. from the game for quite a while, but uh, found my way back to it through DFS. Um, started playing a little bit. Um, had a really good year in 2017. Um, was was kind of a breakout year for me in golf, and and that got me really interested in, in kind of diving deeper into PGA DFS. So, uh, 2018, I... I kind of decided I was going to, you know, prepare better, uh, prepare more each week. And, and through that, I just started researching guys, uh, you know, kind of from week to week. And just by chance saw a, uh, an ad on Twitter that wrote a ball. was looking for some PGA news guys. So just kind of took a flyer, uh, filled out the application, got in touch with those guys. They wanted me to come on and kind of grew from there, man. Just so happens that, you know, it was really good timing. Uh, with with PGA DFS growing, and also lucky that a guy named Spencer Aguiar, uh, who was just yeah. named uh, FSWA Golf yeah, Rider of the Year, Spencer. Um, Spencer and I came in together. We started working there at the same time, so really good guy to bounce ideas off of, uh, and we kind of made it a goal to uh, grow the PGA content over there, man. So that that's kind of how I got started over there. 
Oh, I love love hearing that. And I always so I think you said 2017 was your your like a great year for you uh, DFS wise. Is there a favorite sweat or takedown of a GPP that comes to your mind? Or yeah, do you have something that when someone asks you what was your favorite sweat or favorite takedown, what might that be? Yeah, I've had some really good ones. Um, and, and that one in 2017 kind of is what got me the bug. I think I finished like 19th in the the million the Masters Millie Maker oh, nice. that year. So that kind of got me the bug. Um, I, I really dug in in 2018. That's kind of how I I started riding more. I, I decided for the Masters I was going to go through and research every single player in the field. Um, so went through, started making notes about these guys, uh, just just everybody on the on the slate, everybody in the field that year, and mm-hmm. from that kind of grew a thing called the the Masters Bible um, that I that I did for Roto Baller, um, and then I had a 24th in the Masters Millie Maker that year. So um, 2017, 2018, some really good sweats in the Millie Maker, and and there have been some more over the years, but th- those two really stick out as kind of getting me started. Well, then Masters right around the corner, and we need to hit you up in next week, it sounds like. Yeah, man, I've had had some really great Masters, and I've had some really, like, heartbreakers. So so there's been an interesting mix between the two. The Masters Masters is easier to handicap than than other tournaments? I think the Masters, you kind of – it draws in so many casual players that that you can get a really good idea of, of what the field's doing that week. And I think you can kind of use that to your advantage. Um, we talk about leverage a lot, and and I think leverage is more pronounced um, in, in in events like the Masters, you know, any of the majors where we got a lot of casual fans. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you know I've heard you guys touch on it before. The edge is getting really small uh, in in all DFS sports, but especially PGA DFS. Uh, there's so much great content out there, so much information. It's so so different than it was when I started just, you know, four or five yeah. years ago. Um, but I think that, that, that edge is still there in the majors and especially the masters. So, uh, you know, it feels like it's a little bit easier to get a leg up in that event. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. And especially then the masters field is so condensed. Um, obviously it's not, you know, a no cut event or anything like that, but you have a handful of past champions that can't compete, uh, outside of you know langer and couples in the past yeah. 10 years five years that have kind of beat it but you know what i mean and that shrinks the field a little bit and and so yeah then casual fans maybe are drawn to the kind of biggest names I, i'm on i'm on the other end and drew i like to get your perspective on what you think if the masters is easier to handicap actually to some of my two best dfs weeks or i guess a tournament that i've done really well at consistently actually is Valero and then the tournament right after the Masters, the RBC Heritage. For whatever reason, I've done very well on those weeks, but I have not yet had a good Masters and been doing this a while. So don't listen to me next week. Maybe listen to me at RBC. But Drew, what about you? Do you find maybe a week like Valero or the Masters maybe easier to handicap? So Valero is interesting to me because I think a lot of the time, and I know that the field's kind of not so great this year, just kind of how the calendar's fallen. With Valero, there are some guys that are specifically at Valero to tune up for Augusta. Um, And so that, to me, kind of adds an extra element to it. But when we talk about Augusta National, I feel like the one advantage that I see is is course history. Guys that play well there typically play well there all the time. Uh, And 
Bernhard Longer is a great example. Like the guy is, is, you know, still plays well, still makes the cut there. There's some guys that can get it around that golf course. And I think course history and knowledge of Augusta national and the green complexes and things is beneficial because it's a golf course you have to learn over time. It's, it's kind of tough to just walk in and, and all, all of a sudden understand Augusta national. So I think it's to me, the variance and like I have a specific 10 guys that I know are going to play well there. And, you know, Jordan Spieth would be one of them, regardless of form. Sometimes when you go down Magnolia Lane, guys are just clicked and they're ready to go. And so I see that is different from a lot of there. Like there's specific guys you can pinpoint saying, I feel confident playing this guy no matter what, because you know, he's going to be around come the weekend where this week it's a little bit different. And I know we can't really put into kind of make it a something that we look at like hey how is this person going to come in and and take this week right is this a week that somebody needs to come in they're trying to win or is this somebody that's trying to work on moving the ball two different ways the nice thing Valero does is try to make the greens this week somewhat close to what the guys will see next week and so I think it's beneficial for guys playing this week to get the speed down going into the next week yeah yeah well said and, and Joe I'm I'm going to kind of put you on the spot uh in Intentionally and unintentionally. So you, anytime I have someone on or I talk with somebody that has been in this industry as long as you have, I just like to get the, I guess, just on insight on how it's developed, how players have, have adapted to what you said so well. There's so many good you know, resources and information out there, you know, fan share, rotor ballers, a number of great uh kind of individual people like Mayo and, you know, everybody that we know, there's so many wonderful people and how that has shrunk in the edge as we just talked about. And so where has DFS PGA come? Where is it now? And, and where is it headed? That's a loaded question. So take your best shot. <laughs> uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was really a niche sport um, kind of when it got started. Um, and, you know, you can point to some kind of going now, and maybe there'll be that growth. But I think uh, kind of going back to my start over at Rotoballer, they were doing one golf article over there at the time, uh, at the outset of 2018. And I talked to Alex Roberts, one of the co-founders over there, and we were talking about, you know, kind of where where I saw PGA going. And, and, and I told him then that my thought was in five years, PGA will only be behind the NFL. And hmm. I, I don't know that we're there yet, but I think we're getting really, really close. Um, and I think it's because there are some similarities with the NFL. Um, you know, it's it's a once-a-week thing, um, fairly easy lineup construction. You know, you pick six guys. Uh, anybody can do that. Um, so, you know, you don't have to do it every single day. Um, and while there are models and projections out there, you don't have to run those. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, especially with the influx of gambling uh, that, that the PGA Tour is embracing, I think we're going to see a lot more casual fans uh, that will still find their way to the PGA DFS. Um, so I don't think the edge is going to completely disappear. Um, but but it has gotten a lot tighter. Um, you know, guys yeah. out there doing models every week, uh, podcasts every week. You mentioned, you know, there's too many guys to mention that are doing amazing right, work right. That, that you can find every single week. So uh, to answer your question, maybe a little bit, I, I feel like PGA DFS has grown a lot, grown exponentially over the last four or five years. Uh, I think that's going to continue. And, and while the edge is kind of shrinking, I do feel like it's still there. Yeah, and I, I hope so. And, and 
what we talk often, you know, Drew and I, is what strokes gain data has done good and bad for uh, GPP DFS and, and within PGA. When it was first introduced and we were, people were developing models and even kind of as strokes gain data has evolved to bring in more metrics uh, early on, it was such a helpful tool to differentiate yourself from your competitors. But now with it just being so widespread and we're on game theory, so take listeners, take it with a grain of salt, but it almost comes to the places you're, if you rely solely on strokes gain data, which almost the masses are and how a lot of people speak about it is like kind of educating us on this. We should, you know, think that's the gospel and only rely on that. Well, then it almost comes into a way of a game theory aspect is to fade strokes gain data uh, in your research to find contrarian players. And that might give you leverage. And so it's just this interest. And that's not like documented or evidence based. It's just a theory. But it's interesting how this really helpful tool was introduced for us that might have given us an edge. And now that tool is, you know, fire and it can burn us a little bit. I mean, what do you all think? Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's adapt or die. Uh, in this mm-hmm. thing. And, and like you said, when strokes game kind of first became prominent, it was almost like a cheat code, right? I mean, yeah. if you, mm-hmm. if you were plugged into the strokes game statistics, um, you felt like you had a huge leg up on the field. Whereas now you mentioned, um, you know, you, you hear a lot of people talking about the optimal lineups now um, that, that mm-hmm. they're building lineups based on optimizers and projections. Um, and a lot of these guys are going to have a lot of the same lineups because, you know, the, the, the statistics yeah. are what the statistics are. Um, that, that's what their optimizers are going to spit out or, or, you know, very similar lineups. So as you mentioned, now it's time to, we, we got to go a, a, a step deeper, a step farther. Right. Uh, we we got to try to figure out, you know, what the optimal lineup is um, and then try to find out how to pivot off that, that optimal lineup. Right. So, you know, right. uh, I totally hear where you're coming from and I, and I totally agree. Um, but it's something that we have to kind of, you know, keep up with as the times change. Um, and it only adds another level kind of uh, strategy to the game, which I really enjoy. So, well Joe, said. on like a let, let's say a week to week basis, how are you juggling all the information, whether it's game theory, yeah. whether it's ownership projections, whether it's models? And I will shout out Spencer, who's fantastic. Yeah. One of the things yeah. Spencer does that I really enjoy is he'll put out his model, but he'll also copy the model to where you can throw in the data, you can play around with it and, and kind of make it your own, which I think people really like. Um, but when we're looking at like a weekly setup, kind of, and I know this is kind of a hard question because I don't expect you to say 25% here, 20% here, but like, how do you kind of break it down when you're kind of, you know, getting your lineups and, and player pools together during a week? Yeah, I'm, I don't know that I'm the best person to ask that question to, Drew, because <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Spencer, Spencer and I are kind of like polar opposites, man. He, he's, uh, you know, and, and other people as well. There are tons of guys out there, but, you know, they're, they're so, uh, mathematically based and statistically right. based and, and just so, so smart. And uh, to be honest, a lot of that stuff's over my head. Um, I try to be mindful of the statistics, knowledgeable of the statistics. Um, you know, I, I definitely want to take in all those things um, and kind of try my best to understand them. But um, I'm a little bit more on the, I guess, artistic side <laughs> of trying to build lineups versus the, the artist side. Yeah, like that, that's that's what I'm shooting for. Um, so I try to be try to be mindful of the statistics. Definitely want to know those; they're extremely helpful. 
Uh, but, but when it comes to me to so kind of getting down to roster construction, um, I, I'll, I'll take a little different approach as far as just trying to make thoughtful rosters. Um, you know, we've mentioned leverage a lot already, but trying to trying to realize where that is. Um, you know, a quote I kind of like to think of, I think Drew Dinkmeyer, really good DFS player, said it. Uh, what, what are you going to win when you win? Um, so I try to be mindful of what tournaments that I'm playing. Uh, what kind of roster construction will work in those tournaments. Um, and and obviously, you know, you want to take in the course history, uh, recent form, and and also know all about the stats as well. Yeah, well said. And maybe just leading off that is where do you feel like your biggest edge is, um, in, yeah, within your own abilities? Um, thoughtful, thoughtful lineup construction. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of having a feel for, for what the field is going to do. And maybe, you know, not certainly not every week. Um, my, my best weeks seem to be when it, when it kind of naturally occurs, when, when I go through my research, pro- research process, um, look at everything and the guys I'm kind of coming to, you know, Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning, the guys that I'm coming to aren't expected to be very popular. <laughs> it seems like that's when I have a really good week. And unfortunately that's yeah. not something you can manipulate. Um, right. mm-hmm. the, the chalk kind of is the chalk no matter what, but, uh, I find that I have really good weeks when the players I just kind of naturally uh, find myself drawn to aren't expected to be popular. So that's, you know, anytime that happens, I feel like I'm going to have a really good week that week. Yeah. I love it. Well, yeah, and then kind of moving on to Valero, I can't, uh, yeah, maybe it's a humble brag or maybe it's not humble at all, but I can't <laughs> believe it's already been, it's since 2008 where, our boy Andrew Landry won, and that was one of my one of my best weeks. And I have a fun fact about that. So Andrew Landry won uh, obviously in two thousand eight, but I, I finished it was like fifth or sixth in a huge GPP that week, and I didn't even have Andrew Landry at all in my player pool. He was less than a percent owned, but I did have I think it was Sean O'Hare and Trey Mullinex who finished behind him, and I had both of them, and it just shows how crazy things happen and. Uh, within DFS, but yeah, in 2008, when Andrew Landry won, he was less than a percent owned, and you could be in the top ten or five in a GPP and not even have him, and couldn't tell you the last time that, right? You know that that, that has happened, yeah. but 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 Joe, and then then Drew, I'll kind of ask you the same thing. What what are we thinking as we uh, yeah turn the page on the match play and head into Valero this week? Any Anything that we should be mindful of or anything comes to your mind as it relates to Valero or TPC San Antonio? Um, Motivations are interesting this week. Um, Mm -hmm. I think think we've already kind of touched on that uh, with with such a huge tournament kind of right around the bend next week. uh, Mm -hmm. We should take into account where these guys are. Um, Are they they tuning up? Uh, Some of the guys up the top. You know, obviously that's the situation there. Um, are they already in the Masters? Are they trying to get in the Masters? Um, you know, I, I think that's something I'll be looking at this week and not always something we have to take into account. Um, but, you know, the, the week before a major is kind of an interesting situation, and, and that is something I will pay attention to is, you know, what are these guys playing for this week? Yeah, I agree with them. I mean, think of Richard Bland. Think of Ricky Fowler, right? Like these guys need to win to get to, get to next week. Um, and so, yeah, to your point, like a lot of the guys up top, you would feel like that have that know they're on to next week. 
where they can actually take this as, a, as kind of a, a warm-up test and, and, you know, play different shots where they aren't necessarily thinking of the outcome. Um, it's it's hard to pinpoint that, right? It's hard to say, hey, this guy is is going to think this way because how the hell do we know what they're going to think? Um, but it's, it's also kind of a vanilla golf course. And I know you say you like this week. Um, it's kind of straight out in front of you. It's, it's, you know, tight to hit the fairways, but the, the, the rough's not overly penal. Um, so I do think that this is one of the weeks where, and I haven't looked at the data based off of, I know Spieth just won last year, like outright market, what number threshold are we, we seen win this golf tournament? And just off not looking at it, I would think that this kind of draws us to guys in that nine to eight K range, or we'll feel way more comfortable about them this week as, as compared to another week. At least that's how I personally feel about it. Um, so it, 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 you can kind of maybe fade some guys at the top, right? Like think of Bryson. Yeah, are you comfortable playing him? Think of Speed. I mean, you know I love Speed. I I can't bring myself to play him. Mean, I know it's a Texas event, and and so then you know you kind of look at the top guys, and and I can start fading some guys off the top of my head just based off of kind of what we've talked about. Um, so I think if if you do that and you feel comfortable with it. Then you have a real nice start to where the build goes. Um, and again, 7,500 yards, don't don't think twice about it. This We saw how the golf course played last week. This is not Florida, right? The ball's running. The 7,500 yards is, is kind of irrelevant. If, if Don't think of it like that. We talk a lot. The par threes, there's three over 200 yards, one at 240 yards. So don't throw all your chips into that, that distance basket. Uh, with the way the golf course will play firm and fast, it kind of brings uh, pretty much anybody into play. Yeah, well said by both of you all. I'm, I'm probably more excited for this week than I should be or anybody else. These, when Joe, you brought it up that we're judging motivation, which is it's tough to quantify, but it's definitely true. With and we talk about uh, on the show all the time, and I know there like Fan Share has the trending kind of um, tools now that we will look for rolling reports, trending reports. But golfers themselves, they say. We want to be peaking at the right time. A lot of these guys in 10K and above and some even the 9K, they're not wanting to be peaking this week. They want to be peaking next week. But for this week, how do we use that to our advantage? But that's a, another variable that makes this week tougher. And then in, in tournaments where there's so many unknowns and variables, I, I love them because I, you know, maybe at fault get too contrarian sometimes. And so I'm, I'm super excited this week and then excited just to, to look at the card. So if you all don't mind, let, let, let's, let's, let's talk it. And so we'll, we'll sure. start maybe, yeah, let's start at nine K and above. I know that's a big group, but that's Jason day all the way up to Rory. I think Rory planned for the first time before, um, I saw somebody say the first time before Good. the Masters in like eight years. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's not worth that's, the other that's way. interesting. <laughs> and so, yeah, what, what do you all and Joe, why don't you start us out? Any is there a golfer or two that is in the nine K and above that you kind of have your eye on on a Monday evening? Yeah, um, early, early in the week, guys, of course. But, uh, you know, as you mentioned, such an interesting thing to kind of sit here and consider. Uh, what these guys are playing for this week as they look ahead next week. And right off the top, you mentioned Rory, man. And, and it almost feels like he's just trying to see what, what's going to stick to the wall at this point. Um, mm -hmm. He's kind of trying everything. Augusta's that, that last huge mountain for him to climb. Uh, you mentioned he hasn't played the week before in a very long time, but he's going to give it a go this week and kind of see if that works. So mm -hmm. um, you kind of, you kind of wonder where Rory is. We haven't seen him play. 
uh, a week prior to the Masters in a long, long time, so you don't really know where to put him. He has played this golf course before, played well, um, has actually been very good from tee to green. Um, so you have to like Rory, um, you know, taking into consideration that that motivation factor. I think a couple guys that, that we can kind of touch on really quickly up here as far as being in tune-up mode uh, and, and even some injury concerns, and that's Hideki and Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah. Um, you really have to feel like these guys are kind of just going out there knocking the rust off. They've been dealing with injuries. Um, so so those two guys are, are a couple guys I'm pretty comfortable just kind of scratching off this week. Um, and, and interesting to hear your, your guys' thoughts on those guys. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, Bryson, listen, and Bryson had a long time off, but Bryson did not look good at all, right? And and we we all know we play golf. It It, it takes <clears> – <throat> time to get the feeling back under the gun, especially around the green, especially with the putting uh, in Hideki. Listen, Hideki would be a slam play this week based off of what he does well, if the injury wasn't a concern, but it is a concern. Um, and, and we know going into next week, you know, Hideki's the, the reigning champion. So he doesn't have a damn thing to prove. Uh, I want to, it's interesting. The, the Rory thing, right? It, I know Rory was at Augusta national today. Uh, playing the week before, which is unusual. It to me, Rory downplays it, but I think that this has become kind of like almost a mental block to him at Augusta National, uh, to where he's just trying to find anything. Right? He's going to try it all because Royal downplay how important it is to him. But this week is the most important week in in, in Rory's calendar year. So I'm with you. Uh, I'm fine fading Bryson. I'm I'm okay fading Hideki even. Um, so and and again, I said I'm I'm okay fading Jordan Spieth. So that kind of leaves me to to one guy in the 10K range that I'm okay playing, and and that would be Abraham Answer. Um, and he had a good week last week. And again, I, I I mentioned earlier, Abraham Answer hits a low running golf ball. This 7,500 yards, although he's a shorter hitter, is not too big of a ballpark for Abraham Answer. So for me, in that top 10K range, uh, it would be Abe Answer, and then probably my favorite play of the week would be Gary Woodland at uh what 9300 we we like gary woodland on this show and, and he's starting to play it. well right he's got two top five finishes in the last five starts and he's had success around this golf course last time he was here he finished six so another guy another guy that he doesn't have a lot to prove this week but i kind of like the way it's trending and, and at 9300 i'm good with that for sure yeah and i'm i'm gonna repeat what you just say or i'm just gonna let you say it but yeah answer is one of my favorite plays but he could turn out to be an ownership play i'm a little uh beast priced and sandwiched between spieth and dechambeau we know what spieth is we know where dechambeau is he could draw a lot of ownership just with people skipping rory because you know the motivation skipping matsuyama because of the injury they may land on speed because of course history but that's not a sure thing Abraham answer might be a lot of people's first click, you know, him or Corey, Corey Connors. And so I want to monitor Abraham answer, but he's definitely going to be um, on my outright card. Really love answer. But I want to talk about is, is Tony Finau priced between Keegan Bradley and Jason day. I know he hasn't been playing that well, but when you get a Finau priced by Woodland and Keegan and Jason day and Adam Hadwin, much more talented in that. Missed a cut at the players. Not worried about that at all. I think he got the, the wrong side of the draw. Last term before that, played well at the Genesis. I know you know some people think that he played well or poorly at the match play. But I think we'll come in low-owned because there's zero 
you know, kind of form that he has, he, he's a definition of a GPP play, and he's just severely underpriced for the long-term caliber that that Tony Finau is. Um, last, I will just say Siwoo is very interesting. Want to see where his ownership is, but yeah, if we come down to the 8K, I, my favorite play maybe this whole tournament. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go first. I'm gonna go out of order because I just was chomping at the bit to kind of talk about him. But that's Adam Hadwin. Adam Hadwin, over the last 24 rounds, ranks ninth on approach, ranks first in proximity. I, I kind of saw that green regulation percentage is lower here, but proximity is more important here, likely because there's multi-surface greens where there's huge undulations. So there's might be multi-tiered greens, I mean. Adam Hadwin ranks first in proximity over the last 24 rounds. I'm huge on on wedges uh, th this week because if it's playing end to win, which it looks like it's going to be windy, these par fives are long, got to score on the par fives. I, I, Adam Hadwin likely is not going to be able to hit these things in two. And so proximity from 75 to 100, he ranks fifth. Uh, pretty good with the other, we other wedges from 100 to 125. He's good on good drives. He actually ranks first in my model over the last 24 rounds. And if you need anything else, we love talking about trends. Adam Hanlon is turning kind of with the putter. He's gained 5.7 and 1.5 on the greens, but he also has gained strokes on approach in his last seven out of the last six tournaments. And at the Valspar game, 3.3. At the players game, 4.2. I don't think he'll be too highly owned, maybe between 15%, 20%. Love Adam Hadwin. I just had to throw that out there before uh, you all say anything. So I'll hang up and listen. Joe, what do you like in this range? Uh, yeah, man, I, I like Hadwin as well. I kind of had him kind of had him highlighted as one we could touch on this week. Um, right below him, I really like Kevin Streelman. Uh, he's, mm -hmm. he's a veteran, and I think Drew mentioned it earlier. This is a pretty vanilla golf course, pretty vanilla event, but we see vanilla players play well here, uh, and Kevin Streelman certainly checks that box. So uh, – a T8 and a sixth in his last two Valero starts. Uh, he's coming off his best tee to green performance since last year uh, at Valspar. He gained over seven strokes tee to green. Um, so if I'm if I'm highlighting a guy in the 8K range, I uh, really like Strillman this week. I'm Love with it. him. I'm with him. And I think it's a great point you made too, Rob, is three of these four par fives are really not reachable in two. Um, and really, depending on the win, four or four aren't reachable in two. Uh, you have essentially three 600-yard par fives and then something right around 570. So that does draw on wedge play, right? And I think it's it's important to capitalize on the par fives um, because those are kind of your scoring opportunities, but they're done a little bit different way. So, like, this doesn't give necessarily an advantage to the longer hitter, which, again, which is why you have to dissect this off of what you see on the scorecard, right? On paper, you would think, hey, Bryson here, you know, we're going to go with the long guns. That's just not how it shakes out here. I'm with him on Kevin Strillman as well. He is my favorite 8K play. Uh, I will just jump over to 7K real quick, um, and I'll give you two. Uh, Matt Kuchar, I want to go back to the Matt Kuchar. Well, fantastic course history around here, uh, 12th and a 7th in his last two starts. He's been inconsistent with the irons, um, but he's he's been a great driver of the golf ball, especially on these tight fairways. He had a 16th at Valspar, so his game's kind of back to an extent. I know it's not where it was. And then a guy to kind of flip the mold here because typically guys that went around here um, have played well here before. Uh, and this person hasn't played here is be Alex Smalley. Um, second last last week in Putacana. Um, 
consistent driver of the golf ball, puts himself in position, you know, quite frequently. I kind of like the way that he's trending. Uh, and this is a guy that's just kind of fresh off the corn ferry tour, right? So we don't have tons of course history to base it off of, but that's for me is not a good enough reason to throw a guy out of the, uh, you know, out the window and not play him. Uh, so at 7,100, uh, especially coming off that second last week, I will, uh, I'll be on Smalley for sure. I love it. So we're, yeah, we're already in the seven K range. We're getting sorry, into the sorry, range. I jumped. Yeah, I jumped. No, I, I like Strelman. I like Strelman. Me and Joe are together on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, like, well, hey, but before go. before we get into the seven Ks, oh, guys, I want I want to get your thoughts. Uh, maybe one of the most interesting kind of case studies this week: Charlie Hoffman, eighty two hundred. Uh, the course history doesn't get any better, and, and the recent form doesn't get any worse. <laughs> so what? So, so what do you do there with Charlie Hoffman at eighty two hundred? He's he's won this event and got two two second place finishes in like the last five years. So the the form's horrible. Uh, I just think it's kind of an interesting one to point out uh, when you talk about recent form versus course history with Charlie there. Yeah. Well, so let me say eighty two hundred. With, with his ownership will be inflated. I, I, his price is already inflated based on that, that, you know, course history that you just talked about. And so if we get, let's just say if he was priced 8,200 and this was the RBC heritage, he might be 5%. Well, this week he might get, he might be 12%. And with his current form and, and combined with his course history, I might say is, well, then that might project out he might he might finish in 50th place well is it 8200 and all this is just uh, you know wonderings but if an 8200 at you know low you know teens 12 to 13 percent charlie hoffman who's overinflated on both price and ownership and likely going to make the cut but he won't contend i don't see that is he worth it and so uh, my, my saying is no you know if he was under five percent sure i get that but that that extra 10 to 11 to 12 to me kind of singles the other way. And I just think there's very little upside of rostering a guy like Char Charlie Hoffman. I, I'm and I should back it with I'm a little bit more of Eileen core uh, current form over course history, especially at a course like uh, like this, uh, even though he's played well here multiple times. But this isn't the same Charlie Hoffman. So I just I just have a hard time seeing what the upside is. Drew, what do you think? I don't disagree. And, and I might be not the person to ask this because I'm typically a full fade Charlie or Charlie Hoffman guy. Um, the thing that concerns me is the things that he did well for so long are the things that he's really struggling with right now. Um, I mean, you look at his, his stroke scan approach over, over time, he's been pretty consistent. And then ever since essentially August of last year, it's been kind of a disaster. Um, again, I know people really like him in the outright market. I saw tons of people run into that 90 to 100 number this morning. Um, if it's a low ownership, I potentially would play it. But man, I just, I would feel gross going to sleep on Wednesday night if I had, uh, you know, too much ownership of Charlie Hoffman. I just wouldn't mm -hmm. sleep well. Um, so, but again, I'm usually team fade Charlie Hoffman, you know, wearing the, the fanny pack with the heating pad, bad look soft look <laughs> but no I'm, I'm gonna probably i probably won't be big in on charlie either well joe do you have a read on him i don't i, I just kind of want to get your guys thoughts uh, that that course history versus recent form uh, debate is just such a big one uh, that, yeah. that i thought that was 
kind of a, a really interesting case study with him this week because the course history is so good and and the form is so bad. I, I don't have a strong take either way. Uh, just kind of kind of want to toss him out there and, and get your guys' like thoughts it. on it. Those Valspar numbers are atrocious. Oh man, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really bad. He, he's lost well, all strip eating green and off the tee in every start this year. Yes, really yeah, not been good. Not not great. Well, and I know there's some courses. I think I don't know if it's Data Golf or somewhere somewhere else that talks about that. Some courses are more predictive than others, and maybe I'm misunderstanding that. I don't. I haven't seen anything with with this course, but you know, I would imagine that I, you know. Again, my bias, but this course maybe is a little less Next of a lean on on course. Charlie oh, always sure. plays sure. well at Augusta National. A first um, round leader. Is, yeah, is he in the field next week? Sure. Is, is he in the is he in the field next week? Ah, uh, actually, that's no, a great question. That's uh, about to, if so, he is, we're uh, taking first round leader on him. Let's go. <laughs> uh, book it. Well, so our boy, our boy Ryan Newman brings up a good question, talking about the older guys and you know Cooch and ZJ and Glover all have played well here. I I want to talk about a guy that's going to be super underrun. He's in the seven K range. He's an old guy, uh, kind of a real journeyman to the definition. And that's is that CH3, Charles Howell the third. Nothing is going to blow you away. He doesn't even have great course history here. I think he has a handful of missed cuts and then a top 10. But I, I kind of uh, I saw something at the Arnold Palmer where he finally made a cut. I hadn't made a cut since the Amex. Then finished 32nd, the Arnold Palmer, but gained 5.9 strokes T to green, 4.3 on approach but lost almost three strokes putting, and he's usually an excellent putter. Mm -hmm. A similar trend like that landed me on, or landed us on, I should say, Drew, Brendan Steele at the players, and Steele went on and had a great players. I I'm seeing something similar with Charles Howe. And so a guy that makes a lot of fairways, he has gained strokes tee to green over his, his whole career, which is almost 360 measured rounds, Guy that finds the fairway, playing well on approach, if he can kind of get his back class of putting down, I think a very low-owned CH3 this week I really like, and um, I, I barely ever talk about him. So he's 7,400, but in the last uh, few rounds here, he ranks out one of the best in the field. Any other guys in the 7K range that you all wanted to talk about? Um, I have one other, but I'll kind of maybe sh say that at the end. But, uh, yeah, anybody else, guys? Um, I think a guy you touched on, uh, Rob, Brendan Steele. Um, I, I don't mind firing him up this week. Uh, very oh, good yeah. course history here um, at yeah. $7,600. He's gained almost 20 strokes TD Green over his last two starts. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, he's a streaky player. Um, he's a guy that we see play really, really well in spurts and really, really bad in spurts. And it seems like his uh, arrow is pointing up this week at a course where he's performed well in the past. So don't mind going to Brendan Steele there in kind of the mid seven K range. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, he he has to be priced near Hoffman in the betting market. I I, I, I haven't looked at it yet, but uh, Steve, I would much prefer Steele over Hoffman uh, outright. But I mean, whatever. But we, yeah, I drew. What were you going to say? Yeah, I just uh, I'm interested in Chad Ramey. I don't know if I'll get there. I mean, he just won last week. Two weeks before that, he took a fifth. Um, and the other guy is Richard Bland, right? Like, listen. Yeah. Like, I get Richard Bland is not the, the the most flashy player. I love that he doesn't even really have a sponsor's hat he has to wear. He just rocks, like, whatever country club hat he wants, which is sweet. 
Um, but he's a guy at, at the low 7K range. He's been just really good, right? Like the guys went forever without winning a golf tournament. And now he's the fact that you see him last week at, at the WGC Dell match play, you know, saying he's essentially one of the top 64 players in the world is impressive. Um, that week does wear on you. So I could take that in perspective, but man, Richard Bland, like super low owned. I'll throw, I'll throw some percentages in on that and, uh, and I'll feel pretty good about it because his game's consistent, right? It's not like he's like a, a hit or miss guy. He's been really, really consistent over, over time. So he's definitely one of the, uh, the aged gentlemen in that 7k range. I would be interested uh, in taking a peek at. Yeah. And you know, it feels like this is the type of course that maybe he could do well on. A guy who has a very different game that I just wanted to talk about, and that's Dylan Fratelli, you big Fratelli, Dylan guy. Fratelli. I do, he is I do such a big Fratelli, Fratelli guy. <laughs> I am, but th- this is this is kind of got to be the week. One thing I was impressed, and I don't quote me on it because I can't remember, but he was on the wrong side of the draw at the players. I think mm-hmm. again, maybe likely wrong. Right. He, he may have been on the wrong side of the draw at the players. Still made the cut and finished fiftieth. He's gained strokes on approach now and four straight uh, gained strokes tee to green, which he just kills it four straight uh, as well. Can bomb it off the tee. He's a little loose at times, but if this is a, a good driving week, you know, he's a South African, maybe used to playing in the wind, maybe used to playing firm and fast. Really like Fratelli. I think he's way too cheap. Like Fratelli, I, I find myself, I believe, and again, I'm biased, I'm a Fratelli guy, but much more talented than, Chad Ramey and Brian Stewart and Nick Taylor and uh, Troy Merritt. I don't know about that, but getting down there. Yeah. So uh, the last guy I just wanted to mention is, is for Telly, but let's move into the fun range the range. We love talking about. There's a lot of interesting names down here. And it seems like every year at the Valero, there's a couple of these guys that pop. So anybody for you, Joe, that are, um, yeah, kind of getting your attention down here in the six K range. <clears throat> yeah. Um, it's early in the week. I tend to kind of gravitate towards these guys as, as the week goes on. A um, couple mm-hmm. guys that jump out, though. Younger guys. Um, I really like ball strikers on this layout. Um, and Adam Svensson jumps out to me there at 6,800. Um, he's a guy we've seen make some deep runs in a couple different events. Um, the iron plays really good with him. Uh, so interested in him. Does have a, have a T42 on his Valero resume. So, you know, he's got a little bit of experience on this golf course. Um, and, and another young player there at 6,800 is Austin Smotherman, um, a guy who I think is uh, going to do big things in the future. A uh, really good iron player, great ball striker. Saw him play really well at Corrales last week. Um, so, you know, if you're just, just tossing out pure ball strikers, uh, those two guys jump out at me. Also like Grayson Sig. Um, he's kind of a pet player of mine. He won the Knoxville Open uh, on the KFT last year so i uh, really like just how accurate and straight he hits the ball and we, we've seen some good outings from him this year as well nice i love it by the way knoxville's got good golf there's a lot of good golf in knoxville my uh my buddy lived there for quite some time um yeah. all right i'm throwing it out g mac i will go gray mcdowell wow um course history here is really good right and and you want to talk about a ball striker listen i know he's kind of ebbed and flowed the trend I see is miscut, good finish, miscut, good finish. Well, I'm on the wrong side of that trend, but hell with that trend. We're, we're that trend stopping this week. Uh, Graham McDowell is at what? 6,400. 6, yeah, 6,400. Um, I just think like 
the one thing that I notice with Graham McDowell when he gets to seaside golf courses, right? When he gets golf courses there, there's a lot of wind. Um, with golf courses that play firm and fast, that's kind of what brings out his best game. If you get in golf courses with soft conditions, he's, he's sometimes obsolete as far as his, his distance goes, but I don't think that's the case this week. Uh, especially him hitting that tight little draw is going to run out like crazy. Uh, and we know he can putt it well. So I will take G-Mac at 6,400 is going to be my my guy. And and I feel pretty good about it. Maybe like 72% confident. Showed a little off there a couple <laughs> weeks ago, right, at, at Bay Hill? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and he was uh, he was right there. I mean, I, I know he finished 50th last week in, in, in an off-field event. But that's neither here nor there, right? He made the cut. <laughs> and and David brought up a good point. We haven't talked about Smotherman. He'll get a lot of touting this week. There's there's not a lot of people hitting the ball better than he is in the 6K range, but one of the guys that is close to hitting the ball just as well, and it's surprising, that's J.J. Spawn. Very surprised, and also surprised how poorly he's putted, too. So hopefully for some positive regression there, but – J.J. spotted the Valspar game, 5.9 on approach, 7.1 TD green. That's, you know, combine that. That's some of the best in the field, and he's priced in the 6K range. You can give me all that at 6,700. Really like J.J. Spawn. Missed the cut of the Masters, but game strokes TD green off the tee and on approach. Maybe they're uh, at, the, at the players, excuse me. So maybe got on the wrong side of the draw. Uh, hasn't missed the cut if you take away the players since the Genesis. He's only had um, – three miscuts on tour. So again, a little risky, but gosh, trending one of the best in the field. Kevin Chappell's name will be mentioned a lot, Chappie. but I'm going to throw out a, a major champion that we haven't heard from, from a whole while, who's is actually grounding into some pretty decent form. And that's Henrik Stinson at an amazing $6,300 on DraftKings. He's actually for the first time in since last year, the first time since 2021, he has game strokes on approach in two consecutive tournaments, the Arnold Palmer and a 57th at the Valspar. 57th isn't good. I get it. But let me just read you his stats from the Valspar. And, and maybe this, I will play a game. You already know what he finished. But if I just told you that he gained 6.6 tee to green, 1.6 off the tee, and 4.3 on approach, where would you fish here in those numbers? Where would you all think he would finish? Top 15. Yeah, top 20. Yeah, top 20. I was 6.6 and 4.3 on approach. He only lost strokes in one key metric, and that was putting, and he lost 6.7 strokes putting. You know, he, he might lose oh, strokes putting this week, but it's not going to be 6.7. But it, the big sign with Stinson is that the ball striking last week, or not last week, but at the Valspar, has been the best it's been in a long time. Like, he hasn't gained anything near 6.6 since the Open in 2019 where he finished 20th. So that is just something to monitor with Henrik Stinson. At 6,300, why not take um, a flyer vibes. Strokeskate vibes being uh, being appointed Ryder Cup captain, too. Can throw yeah. that in there. Something about that. Something about yeah. that Ryder Cup captaincy, That's guys. Right. Uh, we, we, we saw Steve Stricker. Um, yes, that's a great at point. Phoenix, we Absolutely. saw uh, Patty Harrington at, at Kiowa uh, would play really well in the PGA. Um, so, you know, maybe we got Go these guys going, man. man. We're, we're talking about a guy that not too long ago, kind of the, the post-Tiger pre-Morikawa was maybe the best iron player in the world. Agreed. So, 
and, and that and, and that so this open is... win against Phil too, like that was one of the, oh yeah, yeah, the most complete ball striking displays I've ever seen. So basically, yeah. what you're all saying is that Team Stetson, we're Team Stetson, absolutely. Yes, we're, we're all in. We're all in on Stetson, <laughs> Man, Rob. I, I might, I might have to put a top forty on him too. I mean, just to make the cut, I mean, sixty three hundred. Uh, man, and he he hit best one of the better tee to greens last out in the field. Gosh, sign, sign me up for him. But we're we're running low on time. Anything else, guys, about this week or yeah, really anything at all before we put this to bed? All good nope. for me, Joe. Um, not much, well, man. Um, I mean, I mean, you mentioned Hendrick Stenson. We talked about some guys in the six K range, and it's actually not a bad week to throw some darts. I mean. Jordan Speed yeah. won last year, yes, but you know before that we're talking about uh, Corey Connors. That was a Monday qualifier, uh, and Andrew awesome. Landry, yeah. uh, Martin Laird, Kevin Chapel. I mean, you know, it's not going to be a bad thing to be contrarian this week. Uh, maybe take some chances um, because the guys up at the top of the board, you don't really know what you're getting as far as motivation goes. So it's kind of an interesting week. Definitely a GPP week, uh, more more than a cash game week for me. So. Um, th- those are my thoughts as as we kind of look in look into the early part of the week. I love it. I love it. Well, and Joe and Drew, you mentioned that there's a lot of good golf coming out of Knoxville. Joe, who's the best? Is there a golfer on tour that's from the Knoxville area, or who's the best golfer coming out of Knoxville right now? Yeah, man, uh, Scott Stallings uh, is playing on okay, the, that's on a the good one. He's out of Oak Ridge. Uh, Peter Malnati's actually out of Jefferson City. So we got a couple guys from oh, the nice. Knoxville area. Um, there's a, a young man playing at the University of South Carolina right now uh, named Ryan Hall, and he's actually a member of my club, Beaverbrook Country Club, here in Knoxville. Um, the kid's going to be a star. He played in the 3M uh, Open last year, qualified for that through something he did collegiately. But uh, a really big-time player in the making there with Ryan Hall. I love it. I love it. We'll, we'll, have to get, we'll all have to get a golf game. I know, Drew, you're a little bit north, but Joe and I, we're in the same neighborhood. And so maybe you get Andrew, your co-host, and uh, oh, we got to play some golf in this, this area of the country sometime soon. Maybe, I, I, which is a little south, uh, and I'm obviously north of you, but Kenny Perry's got a nice golf course right on the border. Of that is not a Tennessee. real thing. Don't tell me I've driven past that. There is no way that that's a legitimate golf course. <laughs> Honestly, I've never played it. it. Just looks nice as you're driving from Louisville to Nashville. Okay, because it's in the middle of absolutely nowhere. That golf hey, course hey, is in the middle hey, of nowhere. Hey, it's right across the street. Hey, from there's, the there's, a, there's a lot of good things in the middle of nowhere, Drew. <laughs> that's true. That's fair. Every time I've, I've driven past, yeah. I'm like, how the hell does Kenny Perry have a golf course here? Um, that's funny you bring that up. We, we can we can all meet at Kenny Perry's track and, and get yeah, after it. There you go. Play a little strap. Strap from Kentucky. Go to Kenny Perry. So I like it. All right, guys. Well, well, good luck this week. Appreciate everybody listening. And Drew, I mean, Drew, yeah, but especially Joe. I appreciate you joining us this week. And yeah, first class. And yeah, appreciate your insight. So you all take care and we'll see you next week for the Masters. Let's go. Fun, fun time of year. Yeah, man.